If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfullproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see my personal journals straight out of the typewriter. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations, all at hoyfulproductions.com. You know, like I did this thing, I was probably going to do the story store and I did these video stories um, and I have 70 videos, right? Of these great stories, but I missed the, the original window that I was going to sit down and edit them all and put them all out, or at least a chunk of them. I didn't get to, and it's more, I just didn't make it a priority. Now it's so hard for me to go back and they're sitting there and they just kind of haunt me. But I know it's something where I have to do the same thing you said. I just need to sit down kind of have like this time where I say, this is what I'm going to accomplish. Nothing else matters and then take care of it. But it just seems now just like even to get that time is so difficult. You know, well, I imagine as a photographer, you have that too, where you, you know, you take hundreds of images and then you sit down like, shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, the one thing that, that we're both <laughs> concrete on is it's all experimentation. until <laughs> so you find something that works. Yeah. Even then, sometimes you have to change it afterwards, right? Yeah, right. I guess that's the kind of the process, right? The the process of like creating, getting it out there. I think that's the big thing is like make it and turn it around, get it out there, learn from it and go again, you know? I think that... And that's like, you know, Seth Godin's big thing, right? Like produce and... And what's he say? Uh, pub, uh, not publish. Uh, ship. Yeah. Yeah. Just like get it out there. So, yeah. Yeah. Then, I mean, what is it? There's like, uh, I don't, I don't remember if it was Seth Godin or if it was somebody expanding upon his idea, but the idea that once you get past like 90% good, the, the difference between 90% good on a product and a hundred percent good on a product is negligible on the end of the people receiving it. Yeah. We might as well just get it out at 90% and move on to another thing. Yeah. What's that? That's that big quote from that guy who did, uh, that book, I can't remember, and it was uh, "Don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good" or something like that. Um, I forget. Uh, I was. I just heard somebody say that the other day, and I can't remember who they were quoting either. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a book on. Uh, I can't even remember. It's a red cover with big white white letters. <laughs> it's famous. Back in ten years ago, ten fifteen years ago, it was like the. Oh, good to great. That's what it was. Sometimes the brains just need a little longer to get to the place where they need to be. Yeah. <laughs> Walk a little further down that path. Yeah. Eventually the memory comes back. So what are we, what are we talking about today? We'll talk about whatever you want, man. <laughs> I, I could talk to you for hours. This is why every time we go to coffee, we end up like, like three hours later. I know, which I love to do. We have to do it again. So, um, which we need to do too, because of what I want to get going with um, the magazine coming up. So, but um, absolutely, yeah. yeah. For anybody listening, Daniel is. Uh, what, what is your official title now? It's the cultivator. The cultivator at Content Magazine. Yeah, it's always been that. Yeah. 
and him and I are going to be working together. So keep your, keep your eyes and your ears open. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm actually, this next issue I'm testing out, and this is the first time I'm doing kind of like a little story with an illustration. So I'm looking forward to that project we've been talking about. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's always fun to play, you know, get not only other people, but just get different, I don't know, I don't want to use the word medium, but just to break into different places. Yeah. Even, even if, you know, like uh, I did that vlogging for a year and I, it didn't really go any, anywhere, but what I learned from video, I use every day with this, with uh, Holy Fool. Yeah, sure. Uh, how do you think that what you learned from photography, I mean, how many years of photography, let's start there. How many years of photography did you do before the magazine? Well, I don't want to say because it's going to reveal how old I actually am, <laughs> but I started professionally in photography in... 1985 or 86 when I first started working. And so I did that pretty much consistently until about 91-ish, 92. Um, And then I kind of retired. And then I started up again in about uh, 2005. And then for the magazine in 2000. 9 through 12, really got the magazine going in 2012. So I've been doing photography for a long time. And other than like the photography that you do for the magazine yourself, what, what do you think of, of all that time in photography, all the lessons you learned from doing photography you brought to running a magazine? Well, the magazine has been such a new endeavor for me, even though now it's been like six years. I feel like now I'm finally just barely beginning to understand how to do it. Um, so I, you know, I always approach it much more from a photographer. I was trying to do these photos, have some stories, put them together, and then ship it out, right? So um, the lesson that I would have from photography for doing the magazine would probably be, if anything, it was even the focus of doing the magazine, is that people love pictures of themselves and everybody really wants to be kind of like a star. You know what I mean? So the goal is to make them look, to get photos of them that are iconic, that are timeless. And then that's what plays into the the magazine. And I think whatever kind of quote unquote excess success we've been having is that I kind of approach it that I want every picture to be iconic. Like this is going to be the shot of them that they'll have at their funeral or when 20 years, when people look in to see what the South Bay was about, they're going to pull up these pictures of these characters and be like, and it'll have a timeless quality. So yeah, I don't know directly how I've learned anything for the magazine from photography, but the photography is why I do the magazine, I guess if I had to, does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And I think that that, you know, maybe that doesn't sound like a profound lesson to you because it seems very commonplace to you. But I, I see lots of magazines out there where people don't have that in mind. They don't have the fact that uh, someone might want to look good in their photo in mind. Yeah, and I guess there's things too. There's different perspectives of what looks good too, right? You know what I mean? There's the look good where it is going to be kind of that glossy airbrushed stuff. I rarely have people smile in my photos, right? And so a lot of there are people who don't like that. Right. And there's been a couple of people that have been kind of upset actually. But, you know, I'm more kind of going, what looked good to me is that for me, what looks good is that it seems timeless and you want to look in the person's eyes. And then the reader 
begins to make judgments about that person by looking at them, looking in their face. And then once you read it, then you start, the reader starts to generate their own kind of story and idea of that person's personality. That's why pictures of like photographs of famous people are ready. It could be a very simple pose and very simple lighting and not even fancy, but there's so much history that you kind of have with that person that you like the photo already. So this is kind of, I kind of see the opposite. Here's somebody you don't know. Hopefully you're drawn in, you read about them, and then you kind of hopefully make a connection. So I don't know. And I just feel like serious photos, I don't know, not so smile. I smile is just, it's, it's quick and easy. I don't, I don't know. How many years of our lives do we take pictures every year for school and make sure you smile? Yeah, right. Yeah. It just, it, it, it seems like this. You know, I, obviously there's some people that can't help but smile. So you're going to end up with smiley photos of them. Totally. I can see how, you know, that reflects who they are. So that's how it should be. Yeah, but pictures lie. That's my biggest thing is that it's, it's a completely a medium of lying and deception because it's a millisecond. You know what I mean? Like the photo is a fraction of a second of a glimpse in time. And so, so many other things in the photo and that surround it lead the, the, the viewer into interpretation. Um, you could even take a photo of somebody with them laughing, smiling, and having a good time. And the photo shoot could have been completely, you could have been at odds at each other, arguing, upset or whatever, but you happen to catch the person in that moment, you know, and vice versa. It could be that it was so fun and happy. And then you get person, maybe they were laughing so much that they cried. And for a moment they took a breath and you took a picture and they look like they're sad. And everybody's like, oh, you really got the true meaning. So it's kind of, it's an interesting medium in that way, right? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting perspective because I definitely think that most people would think, oh, you know, photography is the truth because it's capturing what actually happened. But you're right, context is everything. Yeah. When, uh, when you were starting out, who were your guys? You know, who were, the, who, were the, who were your photographers? Who were your people? Yeah, I mean... Um, you know, cause definitely the older classics in some ways, like Irving Penn. I basically, when I started to want to do photography, I was at Chico State and I was doing business and I hated it. And I just started cutting all my classes and going into the library and looking at photo magazines and books and stuff like that. And so um, Irving Penn was a very kind of influential photographer. Even when I shoot now, I always kind of think of how he shot it. And then definitely Richard Avedon. Um, I started out doing more fashion photography. So those guys, even though they did a lot of portraiture, they did a lot of fashion stuff. So they were definitely an influence. I mean, you know, Ansel Adams on the technical side, um, just because when I started out, you were using film and everything. Um, and he's kind of like the guru of that whole process. Then Andy Leibovitz, you know, from Rolling Stone, what she did. And that was kind of, you know, kind of pivotal. And then when I started shooting kind of more seriously in the 80s, Bruce Weber and Herb Ritz were kind of like coming out on the scene. And I really liked what they were doing. They were doing primarily black and white. I love black and white. Um, and so that, and they were doing fashion and they were doing portraits. And so I think still, I always look at their photos and get inspiration from, from their work, I would say. And, you know, definitely, yeah, they've, that, that's definitely big, my biggest influence. And then there's Stephen Mizell, who did some really kind of wild kind of avant-garde kind of stuff. Helmut Newton, which has kind of done his crazy thing, which totally isn't my style. 
Um, but just the way he told stories and he had this weird, perverse kind of thing in it, like, you know, women on crutches or a baby doll, you know, nursing, you know, real kind of strange things like that was pretty cool, you know? Yeah, I think we actually share a lot of aesthetic tastes as far as photography goes. You recognize all those names? Not all of them, which is why I just wrote down a bunch oh, of them. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> now I need to know. But uh, I can definitely see, you know, like for me, the California school that, you know, like you said, Ansel Adams, I love the Westons. Yeah. yeah. All of them. Yeah. Um, that just really, that grainy, high contrasty black and white, but not like noir. That's just, I love that stuff. Uh, Gary Winogrand. But I can definitely see what you were saying earlier. Moment you, moment you said iconic photos in my head, you hadn't said it yet. I thought of Richard Avedon. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, like that picture of his picture of Ezra Pound. That's probably the most famous photo of Ezra Pound ever taken. Which one is that? I meant. I'm, remind me. What does it look like? <laughs> it's, it's like it looks like he's wailing almost, like he's crying, and it, it's just uh, his skin just looks like leather. Oh, when you see it, yeah. it'll click back, and you go. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Just those iconic photos where, you know, that really hammers down to me. The point of what you're saying too is who knows what was going on in the context of that photo. Yeah. You know, someone looks like they're doing something. They could be yawning. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's the fun with it, right? Well, even too, like even when I'm doing pictures, a lot of times I'm, I'm telling people to, oh, move your head this way, do this, oh, do that. And then I talk to them a little bit about something in between. And then I... But the reality is, you know, and this is, it's, it's fun. Like, you know, I've always kind of done this and it's fun to hear some other photographers, you know, including Annie Leibovitz and some other folks and hear their process after. And to find out like, you know, what I'm really doing the whole time is distracting them, trying to make them not be conscious of themselves and trying to catch a moment. And I have them turn their head, look this way. And that really doesn't necessarily have to do with the picture. And I might have them turn their head left when really I know I want them to go right, but I'll have them do that way and then I'll move it back. And then, you know, so there's all those different kind of like tricks. That's why I say it's like, you know, you, you know, photography is like stealing in a way. It's very much like you're like a pickpocket. You're waiting for that moment and you kind of take it. Even with its portraiture in the studio where there's a relationship going on there and you're working together on the idea sometimes or if you're a street photographer, or if you're a commercial photographer, what it is, there's always this little bar- part of it that I think it's like, you're kind of stealing, capturing something, you know? And then you're, there's a little bit of manipulation in a way, and because you're trying not to get the person to think about themselves, so that they can look natural, um, even though you might have them <laughs> completely in a unnatural position, physically, and, you know... I see a huge similarity between that and what I'm learning about doing these long form interviews too. You know, sometimes you juke to the left, you know, somebody doesn't want to go a certain direction. You just got to listen to what they're saying and then let the conversation drift. But then there are times when you, you have a question you want to ask and the wording that you use mm. at home for them. So they can't think of an answer. So you say, oh, I have another question and it's the same question with just different words. And then all of a sudden you have an answer. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the thing is, is that what I, you know, probably what you're doing with interviews and even doing photos is that even though there is a little bit of, well, I guess it's, it's craftsmanship, right? That you're, you're moving to a good place of representing the person and trying to create something that's going to be a benefit. So it's not really 
manipulation, right? It's more crafting. Right. And I think right. anybody who does that, any kind of craft, there's, you know, you're working with the, and you're responsive, like interviews and photography. I think you're engaged and you're responsive. So you're watching what's going on in the environment. And then at the same time, you know, you have an idea of where you want to go or you're in it and then you see the direction it needs to go and then you help cultivate to that direction. Yeah. And it requires so much, so much mindfulness. And, you know, that's continually when, when I'm in the middle of these and I'm, I'm sure this has got to be the same for you in photography. You pull yourself, you're continually pulling yourself back to the present moment. What are they saying? Listen, listen to what they're saying. Cause our minds kind of, you know, they want to go a different direction. Yeah. Does it happen when you're when you're taking photos? You find yourself pulling yourself to the present. Yeah, um, I should more, <laughs> and I realize that. But sometimes, you know what I mean. I I get super frenetic energy. You know what I mean? Like I enjoy it. I actually get nervous too because I'm trying to create something, and so it just depends on the situation. Sometimes I get even more nervous when it's difficult. You know, like it's been difficult trying to get something. Um, you know what I mean? And I'm always conscious trying to think of making them comfortable. So I'm always trying to move it along. So sometimes I then lose my mindfulness in the presence of it and I'm not watching as much. So what's usually happens is I'm in the process and then something will happen almost at the end of it that I see. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to capture this. And almost like it might put the stuff away. And then there becomes this second moment, you know, but every single time when I walk away, it's always like, oh, I could have did this. Oh, I could have done that. You know, so then you try to log it in your head for next time. And so next time I'll probably walk into a situation thinking what I should have done in that last one, I'm going to try to do up front on this one. And then that's not working. And then I'll do a shoot and then I'll walk away and think of something else. And then, oh, <laughs> you know. You find that easier with people, the, the whole process of doing all that, you find it easier with people you know or with strangers? It's it's kind of easier with strangers and this is probably bad and it probably speaks about probably my f- flaw as a photographer is that with a stranger i have i haven't really have any real concept of who they are so i'm more shooting to my perspective of who they are and actually in some ways this is even worse is that i'm not really i'm not even necessarily trying to capture who they are i'm trying to capture a moment that speaks to an image for people to make, to view, that would be interesting them for them to view. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so strangers a little easier because I kind of don't have an expectation of who they are. Once I know someone, it becomes more difficult because then I'm noticing all the things that they don't really look like. I know that, the, oh, they don't stand that way. They don't look that way. They don't act that way. They don't talk that way. And I guess it's more nuanced because I know more depth of that person. So that's even harder for me to get like my wife, she's the most difficult person for me to photograph because I know her so well that I can't get a good photo. She feels nervous in front of the camera. I'm trying to get something. She's not acting and I could just see it way too much. Or somebody I don't know, if they're nervous in front of the camera, I can make them look not nervous, but I would never really know them intimately enough to know if they are nervous. So strangers are a little bit easier. That makes total sense to me. Those, those preconceived notions of people they're hard to get past i mean i think that's why um i was talking about this with another guest when somebody changes you know they become whether better or worse they just become a different person it's really hard for them to be around people because some people don't want 
them to be whoever they've become. Yeah. I, I imagine as a parent, you probably have to face that continually because your your children are continually becoming different people from your preconceived notions of who you think they are. Yeah, you have to let the person be free to who they want to be and not try to trap them into what you want them to be. How do you go about that? <laughs> Especially as a parent. I mean, we're, we're, we're going in uncharted waters for me. I don't know anything about this. How do you, how do you let a child become who they're going to be without steering them too much? Yeah, it is difficult. Um, yeah, even like with my son starting to drive and then had a girlfriend and now he's working and yeah, there's always a, there's always a, a, a part of you that wants to cling and to hold on and to freeze time and even nurture them, not even nurture them, but push them, instruct them, guide them, you know, to making all the right decisions and the best, you know what I mean? But at the same time, there has to be the free flowiness of, okay, let them, you know, make the mistakes. And my mom, you know, when she, when I was growing up, she always told us, I'm raising you to leave. And so that's kind of my focus is that I try not to step in. So even when my kids are small, if they fall down or whatever like that, I wouldn't oh, overly rush, you know, because there's, you have to analyze it. Yeah. It's that presence is the being aware. Um, so I think, you know, I probably, if anything, I would say for me, probably, and this is probably going to sound a little braggadocious or whatever, but I think I'm probably better at presentness and that kind of relinquishing control with my kids than I am with the magazine, with my photography or whatever. I think I'm, I think I'm more relaxed in parenting because I trust the process and probably more than in, I'll quote unquote, my craft that I feel like I have more anxiety of controlling it than I do my children, which is interesting. Maybe that's good. <laughs> what in the process of the magazine do you think you don't trust them? Yeah, it's more, I think there's more anxiousness. You know, I think you, you think I'd be more anxious of the safety of my children, which I am, but with the magazine, I'm probably more concerned of like, it's probably more that I have a vision of what I want it to be. And so therefore I'm always trying to whittle it to get closer to that. And it's probably, I don't necessarily even have this, the skills and the finances and the stuff to pull that off. So there's more anxiety But with my kids. I don't really have uh, preconceived notions of what they need to be other than that. They need to be loving and kind to people around them, which is way easier, I think, to focus on. And, you know, that's what the mag, I do really want the magazine to have that same kind of role in culture. But, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. People are different than products. When you started out, the vision that you had for the magazine, is that still the same vision you have or has it, has it altered over time? No, it's, it's the same vision. I think I've, I've kind of like dipped, uh, you know, the vision is always for it to be a blessing for the community and to help kind of like build the the creative culture of the South Bay. I think in that there's always a little difficulty and insecurity of, wait a minute, how do we make the numbers work? How can I continue to do that? So there's a little bit of nervousness with that. So we might dip in and get just, or me get distracted with trying to put in some other things more because of, oh, at least I need to kind of get this so that we can draw 
somewhat of an audience so that we can feed them. So, you know, we'll do, you know, if we do something on food, right? Because everybody loves food. But if I know if I do that, and I love food too, and culinary arts is important, but if I do that, at least then if they read that, then they're going to meet this artist or this graphic designer, which I have probably more of a, a desire to feature more like the traditional kind of artists in a way than I would necessarily like a culinary artist. But I'd see the value in that. And so I would say I just get distracted sometimes by trying to get enough bait in there so that people can see the other things. So that's what I would say. This the nervousness and the fearfulness and the, the drift of the mission. But the mission's always been the same, to help support the creative and innovative culture of the South Bay and to do that in a print publication. Have you ever found in the process the artifice of just focusing on the South Bay have you ever found that as an obstacle? <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Like where you go, okay, this is as far as we can grow in that specific direction. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's always a, there's multiple, you know, factors that are being analyzed. But yeah, you know, I do think, you know, the South Bay needs a publication like us because there are a lot of talented great people here who don't get recognition. And at the same time, the South Bay needs us because there are um, a lot of artists and creative people who aren't as high as quality as other places, and they may not get seen and recognized if they were somewhere else. And, you know, the, the big struggle is that, you know, all the great stuff, the rock stars pop up everywhere from San Francisco, from Oakland, to New York, to London, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, the messies of the painting world are found out by everybody, right? So that comes through your feed or you see that or you recognize that. And that becomes the standard of what everything is judged against. And so then what makes it difficulty is because then now you judge what's going on in our area against the biggest world-class player. And so there's the temptation to be negative like oh well we don't have that here oh that's not who we are and the readers are doing the same thing like well this isn't as good as what you can find in san francisco or uh, oakland or brooklyn so that can cause attention and somewhat of a hindrance at the same time i find it a bit of a challenge that there are the people here that have either either they're at that quality level or they have the potential of getting there and so how do i focus and stay focused on that without getting distracted by the shiny stuff that's out there in the rest of the world and how do i take what we have here and let it shine and so that's the you know that's the struggle and, and the san jose south bay market is an interesting animal you know it's there's such an engineering suburbanness to us that sometimes i don't think that they uh, would they appreciate more of an art publication. So that's a bit of a challenge. We're a smaller market too. So that means a lot of the people who need the publicity don't really have the finances even to help support for that publicity. So that makes it a difficult thing on, a, on making the budget work. So there's a lot of those kind of, kind of like tensions, you know? Yeah, in a way, it's almost like your, your competition isn't really magazines. It's the internet in the sense that, like you said, you know, 
sure, I can check out this guy from San Jose, or I could just go and watch this other dude on YouTube who's famous. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, like, you know, there's all that struggles, you know, between the print and the digital. And, you know, even magazines and different stuff that have been, have been exclusively digital are now producing print. <laughs> um, you know, they kind of came along, killed all the print, and then now they're starting to move back in there because some people, people really want that, you know? So I'm not sure. I think the thing is, is that, you know, quality and niche and authenticity, do you know what I mean? Those kind of things, kind of buzzwords of all the kind of stuff are important. And so, you know, that's the thing that I always have to try to do with me and my team is like, how are we being authentic to what we want to do and to this area and not not just do digital because it's going to hopefully move us to be more successful or not to do these interviews because they're going to try to get us more successful, quote unquote, or whatever. But how do we do stuff that we just feel like we like and then kind of being okay with living at whatever budget that creates for us to, to work with. Well, I definitely think sitting back and watching, you know, this whole industry, sure. Ebooks have caught on, but I don't think, you know, virtual, sorry if that's the wrong term, but I don't know a better term for it. Virtual magazines. I don't think they're called e-magazines, are they? Uh, Yeah, they do that. Yeah. Or just digital. Yeah. It haven't really caught on in the same way. At least from what I can see. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, Fast Company and Wired, you know, they've, and Adobe with them have dumped a lot of money and time in it. And they, they do get a lot of clicks and reads. And there are um, a lot of people who've completely stopped getting all print and only do um, the digital version of it for their their tablets or whatever. So, and on their phones and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. But, but what I always say is that, you know, metal didn't put wood out of business, right? And I think that that's kind of the thing is that the virtual ro- world and the artificial and augmented and all that kind of stuff, they're going to have a place and they're another tool. But the reality is at the end of the day, people are going to want to be touched and sit and feel the tangible world as well. And so, you know, it's just it's just trying to figure out how do they work with each other? How do you make those, how do you make the finances work for those two things? And how, do, yeah, how does it all work together now that we have these multiple tools of communication? And how is it just going to balance itself out kind of in a marketplace? That's one of the things that I've been learning a little bit about recently is I think that when I approached the perspective of putting things out before, it was like, here's the thing that I make and then these other tools, we'll, we'll just use the blanket term social media. There's these other tools that are available to me. Those are my megaphones. You know, these, these are the ways that I tell people, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Yeah. I've been learning instead to stop looking at those as broadcasting mechanisms and as places I can enhance the content. Yeah. You know, I, I do an hour-long interview. Well, there might be like this two-minute two segment that might be able to be expanded into a video. Yeah. Or there might be an idea that comes up that uh, can blossom off into uh, a short post on Facebook or something like that that uh, goes a little deeper. How do you guys approach that with with your, I guess we'll just use the social media term still. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, we, you know, social media is another platform and we try to use, you know, we have multiple kind of, we have one mission and that's to like help build the creative ecosystem here so the print 
is definitely a tangible kind of way for people to interact with people and hold it and memorialize them and, 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 uh, kind of give them, I don't know, stability and long longevity, right? Then the digital is a way for us to get that out there to a broader audience with a lower cost. And so that's just another way of getting those stories out there. But, you know, we like to use our social media a lot more for engagement to let people find out what's going on. So people that we've featured, here's another way that you can get to know them and experience them and meet them. So if it's a musician, here's a concert that's coming up. You know what I mean? If it's a restaurant, here's um, something that they're doing, you know? So our social media is kind of geared more to kind of help augment the building of the community. So that's the way we kind of approach it. But it's, you know, at the same time, social media, it takes a lot of time to do. And especially if you're even looking at for events. And then if you're trying to link it back to the profiles that we've done, um, it does become, it's not free and it's not, it, and it's not easy and it's time consuming. So there's always that tension of how much do we do? What do we do? How do we curate it to kind of help benefit the people that we're featuring? And that's the more focus. How does it benefit the people that we're featuring, not so much how does it get us more likes, how does it get us more clicks, even though if we did have more clicks and more likes, it would also benefit the people. So there's that tension all the time. But I think you're right in that it's it's another aspect of, for us, blessing the community. How can we use it to bless the community? Not like, oh, this is going to be the silver bullet that makes us comedy nast or something like that. <laughs> Regardless of who we are, I think we all have some small little voice, maybe for some, it's bigger and louder, that thinks things like that. Like, how do we become that? How do we become that? Yeah. It obviously happens to you. How do you keep that at bay and make sure that you focus on, like you said, genuine and quality and blessing the community? It's it's a struggle, you know, because we do need to make money in order to tell these stories. I want to pay the writers. I want to pay the photographers. We want to get graphic design. There's a lot of things that I want to do. And even just getting the magazines printed and shipped takes, you know, a lot of money. So, um, there's that tension between like, yes, we need to, we need to get more subscribers. Okay. So what's our strategy to get more subscribers? Okay. We need to get more followers. What's our strategy to get more followers. And at the same time, knowing we need to do this but at the same time not letting that drive us but like you know what it's okay like it's okay for us just to do this because we think it's interesting and let's do that and let's not get caught up so um is it it's a tension you know it's really it's really i think it's a tension i think it's a good tension because i think some people though and i'm not that type of person i think some people are already very savvy at how to grow and use and utilize social media to get a bigger audience and to see what they're doing. That's not my forte because I'm such an old guy that, you know, back in the day, it was like, you know, put a stamp on it. Right. So I think that there's other people that have probably better success because they're smarter and know how to do it better. But my kind of thing is like, you know, it doesn't make any difference. I'm committed to do what we're going to do and we're just going to keep on doing it until we can't do it anymore. 
are until it becomes one. This little part improves. Great. Now let's improve in other areas. So I guess that's having a long view and not being caught up and trying to stay focused on, okay, we're really about the people. How do we help support the people? And trusting that in the end, even if it doesn't grow bigger or whatever, at least we've done our part to help the people we've featured. So all those kind of things just go in tension all the time. And as a leader, how do you instill that same outlook into the people underneath you? You know, that's been a challenge, I would say, because, you know, at the one time I'm saying, let's increase our followers. And at the same time, I'm the one that says, yeah, it's okay. We don't have to do that. Let's not worry about it. So I think that sometimes it's, I think the way is to always come back to the mission and trying to say like, you know, we're about the people. It's okay. It's okay that they get us their stuff late. It's okay that, you know, they didn't pay us for their ad. It's all right. Let's just still do what could help them. We like them. Let's figure out how to make it work. You know what I mean? And trying to approach it from that kind of perspective all the time. But at the same time, it's difficult because you, it's all deadlines. Everything's a deadline from the print to a, a post, you know, today. It's all deadlines. So there has to be, then there's this other side of like, no, that has to be done and we have to get it done. We're doing it because we're trying to help, but you still have to have the intensity to walk through the fire to make sure it happens. And so to build that in a team, to keep that going is try to be playful try to have fun, try to focus on the mission. And at the same time, trying to find people who find the struggle of producing and the timeline is actually fun for them too. That's the, probably the biggest key is finding that kind of the people who understand the mission, want to be a part of the mission. And then like, it's fun for them. Like for me, it's fun. It's, it's, it's fun to have to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week sometimes it's fun, right? I actually like it sometimes, like we're going on vacation and the thing I want to do is find some artists that might be from the Bay Area that are living in Spain, stuff like that, and do photos of them and do little interviews because it's fun for me. Like I would rather do that than go for a hike, you know? And so I think that's the thing too, is like there's part of leading is like sharing the mission, finding people with the same kind of mission and value. And I think that's key is that it has to be fun for people. And even the gruelingness and the hard work, there has to be this weirdness that you enjoy it. Deadlines, you have to kind of enjoy deadline in a way. So um, that's kind of a long answer to bring hopefully things together. That's what the point of this is, long answers. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to edit it down. And then you're gonna, you're gonna, the question's going to be like, how did you do that with a team? And then my answer is going to be like, yeah, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens in a magazine all the it time is. right? i, I hate remember. to admit it but yes it is yeah you have to i mean i remember doing questions when uh for those listening who don't know i uh for a while i don't know how many how long i did it uh, i used i did interviews for content magazine and that would be the process you know you ask like 20 20 something questions and then okay you have you know 600 words yeah. and of those 600 words some of them have to be your own yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my favorite tricks was always uh, giving people wordy questions, but then when I turn them into the magazine, cut them down to the bare bones. Yeah. 
So not using necessarily the same questions. You know, I could ask you a long involved question about your family and be like, so tell me about your family. <laughs> that's what I what I would what I would add to the magazine. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the yeah, and that was kind of my focus for the magazine or is the focus is that it's not about the writer, it's about the person it's about the person being interviewed and featured and it actually takes a lot of skill to be able to write in a way that when you read it, you feel like you met the person rather than, oh, I really enjoy that person's writing, you know? And it takes a lot of it takes a lot of skill to kind of get that. And actually, I'm really excited about even this next issue with these profiles. Joanna Hickel, who came to us as a young graduate, has been writing for us. And some of the pieces that she wrote in this next issue are like, wow, like these are really nice. In one paragraph, you totally get a feel of this person and then you get this nice quote from the person. And that's that's exciting. I mean, I like to I like to do that. I mean, I want to... If it was up to me, I would meet every person and interview everybody, right? I would love to do that and spend time with them like you're doing, like a couple hours. Let's go have lunch. Let's hang out. You know, just really kind of build that relationship. And so it's great to read something. If like, oh, I feel like I know this person. Yeah, that's a special talent to be able to encapsulate something in one paragraph. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of writing experience and I'm good at certain things. That is not one of my skills. Who underestimates your skills, my friend? I'm just a, a very, very decent editor. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's your soccer game. Oh, don't tell me the score. <laughs> so obviously, since you find the process of uh, pushing yourself and the, that tension, you find that fun. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of necessarily stress management, correct me if I'm wrong. But also on top of that, how do you, there's still the time. How do you deal with the time part of it? Yeah, I mean, I get burnt out because of the, the time factor. Um, uh, the Yeah, like I do enjoy it. And probably actually the reality is for me, the stress comes more from kind of like FOMO, right? Like, oh, I'm missing out on this. I'm missing out on that. That's probably more of my stress is like, oh, I want to get this done because I want to go do this. Oh my gosh, let's get this done because we can do this on this other person. Oh, how come we're not at, you know, 10 different places today? Why isn't there 50 posts today? Because this great thing's happening. So more for me, the, the stress is I see so many things that have potential that I want to feature. That's more of the stress than the actual, like doing it. Do you know what I mean? So the stress is for me is like, the time it takes to kind of like sit in there and like edit the final proof from my editors, you know, to get the magazine out. The stress is like, oh my gosh, but if I wasn't doing this right now, I could be out meeting these other people, doing this other thing, featuring this other thing. So that's more the tension for me. Not so much, it's not so much the, oh my gosh, this is so laborsome. You know what I mean? It's more like, if I can get this done quick, then I can go do something else, right? So... If I could be in multiple places at one time, that would be awesome. But, you know, so that's more the stress for me. And the time fact, and that's probably, and that's even the stress, even in the time, is that oh, if I farm this out, then that means I could go do this. And yet at the same time, it's difficult for me to farm it out because I'd love to be in it. Um, so the stress is really then trying to find the people that would produce what I would hopefully like better than I would even anticipate. That's probably the biggest stress is trying to find a 
grow that team of like, wow, this is even more than what I've imagined. And they enjoy it as much as I do. So it's almost like um, less about relinquishing control, but more like relinquishing taste. Yeah. 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 That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Relinquishing the taste and like, yeah. And I enjoy, I enjoy being a part of it all. I don't have to, I don't necessarily have to do it all, but the stress comes more of like, and the regret and then the self deprivation and stuff is when I even like relinquish something else to be done by somebody else. And it comes back and it's under my expectations. And then I'm like, ah, and then, but you're stuck on, stuck on a deadline. So you have to figure out a way to make it work. I enjoy that thing of like, oh, let's figure out a way to make it work. But um, that gives me more of the stress of like, ugh, there was so much potential here we missed. And then that makes me stress. That's probably it. I see so much potential. And so my stress is always in, man, we could have done more. We could have done better. We could There's more to do. You know, that's, that's more of the tension. It's not like a, I guess I'm not stressed in the holding. It's like, I'm not stressed in the, it's overwhelming to do. I'm stressed and there's, so many things to do, you know, does that make sense? I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm close to figuring out how to say it. It's like almost like I'm, I'm stressed to the future, not stressed to the past. And how do you, how do you cleanse that? How do you, I mean, you know, like uh, I finished an issue and this is what I have. How do you let go of those? Cause you're going to have those feelings. How do you let go of those and move on to the next one? That's what, that's the great thing. Cause there's the next one. So it's like, okay, let me see what we can do better next time. How can we do better next time? They're channeling it. Yeah. But there's so much that is driven. And you know this too, like as you're putting these together, you're, you're going to be driven by the length that you can allow this podcast to be, right? So there's these restrictions and there's limitations, you know? So those are fun to work with and they can be frustrating. So, you know, there's a timeline. I have to get to a printer by a certain time or it just doesn't show up. So there's that kind of pressure that kind of weighs down on you. And so that's what we came back to like what we we're talking about before. So at some points it's 90% and it's like, it's got to get out there. And there's some, there's ends up being some mistakes in every issue, unfortunately, but it's like, you know what? It's all right. We're going to move on. We're going to do it again. And definitely not perfect, but let's continue to try to make it perfect. Yeah. There is absolutely no perfect. I mean, you can pick up Rolling Stone and God knows how many editors they have and there will be a typo. Yeah. Yeah, it will happen, and they've been doing it for decades. Yeah, but still, just but still, the goal is that you don't want that to happen, <laughs> right? Yeah, you don't want to. You want to just accept it and say whatever and leave the typos, <laughs> right? Yeah, want to fix them when you can. <laughs> yeah, as I know you are, you're a listener, so you you know some of the things that are going on for me and why I've taken direction I have with the show in the quest to become better and to take that and present that to people to help them get better. What book do you think I should read next? Oh, golly. You know, sad to say, I am not a very big reader, never have been. That's why I do photography, which was very interesting to have to go to seminary for theology and not really like enjoy reading. <laughs> um, but you know what? A book that keeps on coming back to my head that I've read within the last year was The Circle by David Eggers which is like on that social media thing. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a book about the show, like Black Mirror, you know? Um, and living in this valley and it's, it takes place here. 
that's just kind of keeps coming back to me. Just like, especially talking about this, the social media and the digital connectedness and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think that was still kind of like affect me a little bit. I actually didn't really like the book that much when I read it. I didn't like the ending. Of course, most books don't end well, but then after, you know, he did a great job, I think of putting little slivers in your head throughout it that affect me more. I think than I realized. So I think that's a good book. Um, you know, there is one, he's a pastor author. Um, he's written this book. His name's Erwin uh, McManus. He wrote this book, Chasing Daylight. And that was like really kind of pivotal for me, especially as like a, a Christian, like the way to view life and the way that he presents, like kind of like a tenacious, ambitious, and yet loving and globally concerned thinking. That was really good. I mean, like, I think that's a good book. I would, I would, I would recommend reading that in just the sense of, even if you're not like a Christian, it's like, it's a book that would give you a view of like, wow, this is like, these are like the, the beauties of what the Christian message is and or should be. And I think it would be a good cleansing for anybody of like, take out the negativeness they have of it. So I think those are two book, good books. I mean, like, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading something over my vacation. I'll let you know, but those are two kind of interesting one's social media and one's kind of like spiritual, I'd say. Would you like to tell everyone who's listening who you are and plug uh, all of your links or whatever you would like to plug as a matter of fact? What kind of tone am I supposed to use? Am I supposed to use one of those? Hey, I'm Daniel Garcia from Content Max. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I'm going to keep that part in. Yeah, now. <laughs> no, right? I, that's why I stopped it because I didn't get a full sentence out. Um, yeah. So, all right. So I'm Daniel Garcia. I'm the cultivator of Content Magazine, which is a publication in the South Bay with headquarters in San Jose. And our goal is to feature the creative and innovative culture um, of Silicon Valley and South Bay. And you can find us at content-mag.com on the web. And then social media, it's Content Mag. So Twitter, Instagram, and the Facebook. If you anybody ever uses Facebook again, that's where you would go. You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show. Because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before. And it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us. Thanks.